Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We are continuing our series today and Paul's letter to that particular church there in Colossae as they are dealing with the difficulties of of a growing church in a world that does not like the gospel message. Paul continues his prayer for the people of Colossae in this message. Last week we looked at Paul thanking God for the fruit that was there in the church, the fruit that was based on the hope of the future. And here he shows the the people of Colossae how he continues to pray for them in addition to thanking God for them. So join with me as we read from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. For this reason, uh, the love that Epaphras had told Paul uh, that the Colossians had for each other, that love of the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness And brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let us pray. Lord, as we approach your holy word, we do ask that you open our hearts and our minds. By the power of the Holy Spirit, change us as we hear the scriptures read and your word proclaimed. Give us joy in what you say to us today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to look at Paul's prayer for the Colossians. And and, and as part of this prayer, he actually begins to, in summary form, unpack uh, his teaching against the false teaching that has begun to to creep its way into uh, the Colossian church. Remember, Paul is writing to a church that had been reported to him that they were beginning to kind of wrap up false teaching along with the teaching of the gospel. And Paul writes this letter as a corrective. And we'll begin to consider some of those false teachings today and also how Paul meets them. But as today, as we look at this passage, we're going to look at the fact that Paul prays for the Colossians. We're going to look at the gospel being better than pagan philosophy. And we're also going to see that the gospel is better than legalism. First, Paul prays for the Colossians. What a wonderful thing. He opens up today's passage. He is, he is reminding them of the love that has been, been reported to him, the love that he says in verse 8. Um, Epaphras told us of your love in the Spirit. And he says, because you are filled with the gospel, because you are bearing fruit, which is love for one another, this spiritual love that is motivated by the whole Spirit, He says, we pray for you all the time. Now, Paul's not walking around praying, Lord, help the Colossians. Jesus helped the Colossians. Spirit helped the Colossians every moment of every day. But what he's saying here is every time we pray, we pray for you. 
Remember, Paul is not writing on his own in this letter. In the opening of the letter, we're reminded that Timothy is there with him. And so Paul is talking about this constant prayer that he has for the Colossians. What kind of prayer do he and Timothy have for the Colossians? Well, it's an intercessory prayer. It's a prayer on the behalf of the Colossians taken before the throne of God by Paul and Timothy. Paul sees issues in the life of the Colossians, and he is willing to wrestle with God in prayer on their behalf. Now, as important as prayers for healing are, as poor, as important as prayers for health are, these are not prayers for health. This is prayer for the power of the gospel to be active in the life of the Colossians. But he doesn't do it alone. Intercessory prayer is difficult when you try to do it alone. He says, we pray for you. He has at least Timothy with him involved in these prayers, if not a greater group of people, as we'll see at the end of the letter, when he he sends greetings from all these people that are in and out of his life there as he writes the letter. When we pray for one another, specifically when we pray for one another, for the gospel to be impactful in the life of our brothers and sisters in Christ, for God to use his spirit and the teaching of the scriptures to grow us more and more, as we will see in the knowledge of God and in the work that we are called to do. It's just better with a group of people. We are to pray together for one another. If we know that somebody is struggling with the work of their gospel in their life, we pray together. Well, we may pray together separately, knowing that we are praying together in our own homes or we may gather together in a prayer group to pray for the work of the gospel in a community, the work of a gospel in the church. As Paul prays for his brothers and sisters in Christ, so are we to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we unpack the first part of Paul's prayer, Paul prays. We'll see that Paul is saying in his prayer that the gospel is better than pagan philosophy. In these first few verses of these prayers, Paul prays twice for knowledge, for wisdom and for understanding. Some of the philosophies of the day there in Colossae had begun to seep their way into the church. And some of these philosophies were centered around uh, mystery, what's called mystery religion. Mystery religion taught that the truth of the gods was only available for a certain select number of people. And there were certain rituals and rites and actions that you had to go through in order to receive this special knowledge. In our world today, probably Buddhism or Hinduism would be the the closest um, uh, example of this to where the, the way to get to nirvana in Buddhism or Hinduism is to really struggle well with your sufferings and to be able to sit and to meditate And have the secret of releasing yourself from the cares of this world imparted to you by the the cosmos, by the universe, by the world. But Paul says when he prays for them, he says, I pray for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Is he praying for a select group of people there in the church of Colossae? No, 
He's praying for each and every one of the members of the church of Colossae to be filled with the knowledge of God that leads to spiritual wisdom and understanding. Where do we find the will of God? We find it in his word. Do you know the secret to finding out more about God and what he wants for you in your life? It comes through the Spirit illuminating and shining the light of God upon the Word so that light reflects into your heart so that you might know what God wants you to do in your life. What is His will for you? It is revealed in the Scripture. It is revealed by the Spirit working through our study and our prayer. We were told constantly in seminary, be careful about how you use your seminary education. Don't use it in such a way that your congregation thinks that you have some secret knowledge that they are not able to attain. Each and every one of you has access to the same scriptures I have access to. Each and every one of you, more as just as important, has access to the same Spirit of God that resides within you that I have access to. You have as much access to the knowledge of the will of God as I do. But do we just get knowledge for the sake of getting knowledge? Do we just study the scripture for the sake of being able to say, hey, I know a whole bunch about the Bible. Let me tell you what I know about the Bible. No, Paul says that we get this knowledge, this wisdom, this understanding from the spirit so that we might live lives worthy and pleasing to God. So that we might live lives weighty enough for God. So that we might live lives holy enough for God. And what do holy and pleasing lives, what do worthy and pleasing lives look like? Paul gives us four things that they look like. First, these lives bear fruit. Jesus in John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And then he goes on to explain that if you are if you are one of the branches that is attached to the vine, you must bear fruit. Paul takes that metaphor even further and says that God has taken people who were not part of the vine and has grafted them in to make them part of the vine. But if they don't bear fruit, they can be removed once again. Our lives should be changed by the knowledge of God. As we know God more, we should seek to be like him more, not because it earns us salvation. We'll talk about that here in a few minutes as we see that the gospel is better than legalism. But because out of gratitude to what God has for what God has done to us, we seek to glorify him. The more we know about his holiness, the more we should want to be holy. We also grow, we also become people who are worthy and pleasing to God by growing in the knowledge of God. Did you know that knowing about God should lead to a desire to know more about God, which should lead to a desire to know even more about God and even more about God and even more about God? As you sit with the scriptures, as you read, as you pray, as you sit under good teaching, Do you desire to know more about God? Think about your best friend. Think about that confidant that you have. 
Are you happy just knowing his or her name, address and birth date? Or do you want to know more about what makes them tick? Do you want to know more about what makes them happy? Do you want to know more about what makes them sad so that you can become a friend who is pleasing to them? Growing in knowledge is part of leading a life that is worthy of God. Being strengthened. Why do we need to be strengthened? Paul said we need to be strengthened for endurance and joyful patience there um, in what verse is that there there in ver- the end of verse 11 going into verse 12. The NIV takes the word for joyfully and attaches it to giving thanks. But in the original, it's probably more important to be attached to the patience that is there. The Colossians lived in a world that either was or was soon to be very antagonistic to the gospel. And they needed to be strengthened by God, by this knowledge of God, so that they could endure with joyful patience the suffering they were going through. Paul says in Romans, rejoice in your suffering. We're not sitting there going, raw suffering, yay, I'm in pain. We're sitting there going, I'm suffering, but hallelujah, I rejoice in the fact that I worship a good and sovereign God. We need to be strengthened by the Spirit in order to do that. And finally, a life that is pleasing to God is a life that gives thanks. Do we thank God for His Word? Do we thank God for the Spirit that shows us how the Word changes us and lifts us up? The gospel is better than any philosophy that says only a select number of people who do the right things get knowledge of God. Giving thanks, though, also serves as a transition because it transitions us to the fact that Paul talks about, Paul prays here that the gospel is better than legalism. Most of the churches that Paul planted soon after he left to move on to the next church plant, there was a group of people that came along behind him. And that group of people brought with them the Jewish law. And they basically preached a message that said, hey, Paul preached to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and that's good, but not good enough. In order to be qualified for the kingdom of God, you need to take what what Paul preached to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you need to add the law to that. You need to take those first five books of the Bible, the book of Leviticus and the book of Exodus, where 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 God sets up all the systems of 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 Israel's worship. And you need to add that to the gospel. Well, what does Paul pray here? He prays. Giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Is there anything that we can do that can qualify us to be members of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the son God loves? Notice the the subjects and the verbs in this particular passage. Give thanks to him who has qualified you. Because he has transferred you from one kingdom to another. And he has set you in the kingdom of the son whom he loves. We can do nothing 
to qualify ourselves. There is no law in the Old Testament that we can keep that will qualify us for the kingdom of God. God qualifies us himself. God has done the work to place us in his kingdom, to make us worthy of being members of that city. We read in our call to worship today, these these nations, Rahab and Cush are Old Testament poetic code words for the northern and southern kingdom of Egypt. Philistia, Tyre, Babylon, all of these were nations and kingdoms outside of the nation, the, the, the nation of Israel, the people of God who attacked, who were constantly at war. One of those nations enslaved them. Babylon carried them off at the end of their life, at the end of the reign of the kings of, of Judah. Babylon carried them off and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And yet they are written as citizens in the kingdom of God, citizens of the city of God. Did they do it? Did they did they get their names written in there because of anything they did? No. God sent his son at the end of the at the end of today's passage. We are thanking God for that savior in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is a word that's it's a slavery word. If you're in slavery to somebody and you want your freedom, somebody has to pay the money to redeem you out of slavery. We are in slavery to sin. We are in slavery to the passions of our lives outside of Christ. And yet our Lord and Savior, Jesus, Jesus paid the price for us to be redeemed out of that slavery. And there is not a single thing that we can do to earn that. There's not a single thing we can do except by the power of the Holy Spirit fall to our knees and say, I have no hope. Except for Jesus. Except for his redemption. Except for his forgiveness. And no law that I can keep will save me. It is he who qualifies me. Not anything else. The gospel is better than legalism. How do we pray for one another? Oftentimes we pray, and and this is good. We, We pray for healing. We have people that we love, people that we know that are sick. We have people within this this body, this family called the church that are ailing, that are suffering, and And thanks be to God, God wants to hear us pray for their comfort, for their healing, for their strength. But God wants us to go beyond that in our prayers as well. God wants us to pray that each and every one of us can grow in his knowledge. Do you pray for one another that they will grow in the knowledge of God so that they can be sanctified and be found worthy and pleasing to God? Do you pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ will bear fruit for God, fruit that shows itself in in loving one another, in growing in knowledge, in being strengthened in endurance, in giving thanks for what God has given to them? That's what God calls us to in this passage. Do we wrestle with God on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being affected by false teaching, who are being, uh, who are 
weighing, being bowed down under the weight of living in this world. Do we wrestle in intercessory prayer for our brothers and sisters? Let's pray. Our God and Father above, I I pray for your people today. And I pray that you give me the motivation to pray as often as Paul did. That your people here at Fairly Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church will, by the power of the Spirit and the power of your word, grow in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so that they might be worthy of you. Lord, lead us to pray for one another in this way. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.